I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at rainnetwork.com. Nonprofit professionals and perhaps even board members take a look at the for-profit world. Look at the examples of great customer service, of foresight and planning and anticipating into the future how organizations can weather economic storms or pandemic storms or periods of uncertainty. You are listening to the Rain Insights podcast series. I'm Emily Donahue. Over the past few years, Rain has shared insights on board management. In this podcast, in our summits with NASDAQ on board excellence and oversight, and in regular briefings with our clients. All of those were geared toward defining and refining the board's role in overseeing and supporting an organization. But what happens when members of the board are not engaged with the leaders of the business they are overseeing? In this podcast, our host, Rain founder David Lawrence, speaks to Hardy Smith, who spent decades working in the high-speed corporate world of NASCAR racing and advocating for nonprofits and associations across the country. Hardy, it's a great uh, privilege and honor uh, to have a chance to speak to you. And you've had a very, very interesting career, and I'm going to be delving into uh, not only what you're doing, but why you're doing it and you know the lessons from the past that you've applied. Um, so thank you for joining us. Um, I think it's going to be a very interesting conversation because generally the issue of governance um, uh, amongst firms, whether not-for-profit or for-profit, uh, or even within a government agency, is hugely important, very topical. And at a time where we've seen an erosion of institutional trust by the public, your work um, is not only interesting, but obviously very important, very valuable. Uh, so... Welcome, and uh, thank you for joining us. Well, David, thank you so very much. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to visit with you and uh, the listeners of your podcast, and I look forward to a, a very enlightening and enjoyable conversation. So let's just jump in. Uh, the logical question is always, uh, what's the nexus between NASCAR and uh, the ability to advise boards, particularly boards of uh, not-for-profits, and uh, we'll call it the lessons that you're applying. Maybe you can share with the audience just a little bit about your, I think it was close to 30 years, was it not, Hardy, of experience that's, in the NASCAR world? That That's correct, David. Thank you. Uh, I always appreciate that question, uh, going from NASCAR to non-profits. Um, during my my work uh, in the high performance world of, of NASCAR racing, what I did during those those days uh, for NASCAR, I do now in uh, in the nonprofit sector. So during that time, both professionally and personally, um, I was uh, very deeply involved with nonprofit organizations, chambers of commerce, associations community groups nationwide. So again, professionally and uh, personally. So the, the connection that I bring is that, that I am not uh, a career uh, nonprofit 
professional. So I'm the background that I, I share in experience and the lessons that I bring is is one of, of, of pragmatism, uh, of one of um, looking at uh, situations uh, from a, a different perspective. Uh, you know, in the world of, of NASCAR racing, uh, it's so competitive that you're always, if you, you're the first place winner of a race, then you're going to tear down your engine. Uh, you want to find out why you won the race so you can replicate it at the next event. But if you finished uh, second through last place, then you're, that just wasn't a successful outing. So you're going to tear down your, your, your engine, your car to find out why you didn't win to make sure you avoid those mistakes. And in my, uh, I guess my one or two sentence job description, uh, David, while working in NASCAR, was to identify problems before they existed and make sure they didn't happen. And if by some chance uh, a problem did pop up uh, that I didn't take care of in advance, I darn well better sure to get a solution and get it quickly. And so the, the situation at hand is, is resolved. So bringing that uh, focus, results-oriented focus, uh, is what I bring to the world of, of nonprofits. Because in the world of nonprofits, there are uh, a number of challenges. And we, um, we, in the nonprofit sector, we tend to think, well, as long as we're doing good, that's really all we have to, to focus on. So that's, uh, you know, doing good can, can get people in, in trouble uh, quite often. So I br help come bring solutions to long-standing challenges where the nonprofit sector uh, keeps seeing these situations repeat themselves over and over, but haven't been successful in finding the, the answers they need. What I'm hearing is, Hardy, uh, in your role of the business behind the business, it very much uh, puts you in contact with a wide variety of uh, not-for-profits and community-based organizations. Yes, absolutely. And, and seeing uh, uh, both uh, hands-on involvement, direct involvement, and also, uh, David, from a, a point of observation, sideline observer, if you will, and... Uh, I've seen a whole lot of nonprofits and certainly there are a lot of great organizations that are out there across the country, both locally uh, and nationally that do tremendous amount of work. Uh, but you know, they're, they're uh, give or take uh, a few here or there, there are about 1.8 million nonprofits in the United States. And uh, so many of those um, have, Recur again, recurring issues that uh, create a great deal of frustration, uh, that limit their effectiveness, that definitely create a, a situation that they're, they're not achieving what their mission says they would like to achieve at a level that they would like to achieve it. And there are some reasons for that. I would like for you to take the audience on a little bit of a, a tour of your years, both at NASCAR, but also obviously working with these nonprofits. And um, let me uh, remind the audience of why this matters uh, a little bit, the, the lessons that Hardy's going to 
share with us. Number one, it matters to the effectiveness and efficiency of the organization itself, for sure. But for the vast, vast majority, I think we, what was it, Giving Tuesday we just had, Hardy, um, last week? Yeah, uh, yes. Okay. So the one thing, irrespective of how America is sometimes portrayed as being very divided and tribalistic, people who uh, work in the nonprofit world will, will also talk about the incredible charity and grace of the American mm-hmm. people. Yes. Uh, particularly yes. when there is a specific problem. The work, Hardy, that you have done, it's not just for the institutions themselves on behalf of them, but it's also about the people who give money and volunteer time because they're doing all of this with the operating assumption that it's going to make a difference, whether it's financially or in terms of resources that might be provided or time and talent, people want to address something. And so the effectiveness of a governing board over an institution, particularly in the nonprofit world, it matters to a variety of stakeholders internally at the organization, the board members, obviously, but the people who are contributing time, money, talent, and very often government funds. Is that at least an operating premise, Hardy, uh, before? Absolutely. Absolutely, David. So, Hardy, share with us sort of your journey and the lessons learned and what you try to do in working with uh, the wide variety of nonprofits that are your, I'll call them partners as opposed to clients. Sure, sure, absolutely. And I like that. That's that's good. Um, I I think in in just kind of uh, dovetailing along with your uh, identification of of the premise, uh, America has something here that that's really unique. It doesn't, uh, the world of nonprofits and the social sector uh, really does, and this is well documented, you know, throughout history. We've got something here that's uh, unique to America. Uh, the rest of the world doesn't really have what we have in the way of the nonprofit, not-for-profit concepts and the charitable giving and the philanthropy. Uh, it just doesn't work the way it works here. So that's something that's very unique. It goes back to the founding of the country. Um, but, what we, but what we see, though, is that uh, there are, uh, as in life, that affect the nonprofits, also affect uh, for-profits, the corporate world, all of us individually, uh, life happens, and life happens in a very, very big way. And <clears throat> so whether or not um, it's a natural disaster um, uh, situation, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with uh, the ravages of Hurricane Ian and Hurricane uh, Nicole in, in Florida, where I live uh, right now. Um, we're, we're still, you know, dealing with various levels of the COVID pandemic. There are, there have been economic downturns in the past. That's part of our, uh, and then upswings, of course, that's part of our economic, uh, life cycle. And there's a prediction, I'm not an economist, but there's a prediction of some kind of, something not good uh, getting ready to happen uh, with our economies. I, I, I just say all that to say this. 
Nonprofits should be anticipating. Nonprofits should constantly be looking to the future to future-proof themselves against unexpected challenges and negative situations that are that will impact their ability to collect funds uh, will impact their ability to to serve their mission and i'm a i'm a believer in the engagement of <coughs> excuse me the engagement of a nonprofit's board as a high value asset will help an organization future-proof itself against various calamities of unknown natures that are that are sure to happen. So while you know you see reports of um, charitable giving um, in response to a particular uh, situation, you know it could be war in the Ukraine, it could be COVID, it could be hurricanes, you know whatever it is. Well, there, there doesn't really, sometimes those headlines are misleading. It's not that more money is being given. We, we, as a, as a, as a country, we, we haven't become more charitable. It's there's a shift in the charitable giving. So actually, uh, during the course of, 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 uh, of, uh, situations, disasters, they're actually winners and losers. So, for example, uh, if you, David, um, as a as a you know contributor of of sharing your resources, and just say, for example, you've been a, a big believer uh, in protecting our environment, and that's certainly a worthwhile a charitable endeavor. But uh, uh, maybe the war in Ukraine, maybe a hurricane uh, situation really touched, uh, touched your heartstrings. And so you said, you know what, uh, I, I give uh, every year, I, I'm giving $5,000 a year this year, and I've been giving it uh, to environmental causes uh, this year because of changing circumstances, I'm going to give those funds uh, to these other causes. You haven't given an additional five thousand dollars. It's still the same five thousand dollars. So when different situations hap are happening, it affects nonprofits. Again, repeating, they're winners and they're losers. So if you have the potential, and and every organization does, to be on the losing end, are you prepared for that? Uh, do you have? Uh, those rainy day reserves built up. Uh, do you are you have the systems in place that you can go to your main contributors and say, "Hey, there's this this economic downturn. There's there's a COVID uh, pandemic. Um, we need to shift our activities, or we need to readjust. May we come back to you outside your annual annual giving." So organizations that are that are becoming reliant on Giving Tuesday as a fundraiser could be uh, raising more money on Giving Tuesday, but it, it, on the top end, but on the bottom end, it, it's it's coming, it's it's getting cut on the bottom end from some other activity they were already doing. It does make sense, and Hardy, um, 
maybe you could basically summarize the most important points that a board has to think about in terms of what their role is, the importance of communication, what I'll refer to a, a little bit different about not-for-profit uh, non-profit boards is there. there is an expectation, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, that uh, people who join these boards um, have a financial obligation as well, either to raise money or support the organization uh, through their own donations. But maybe uh, you could take the audience through uh, the points that you emphasize around an effective board and the duties and responsibilities. Absolutely. Um, David, the, the number one responsibility uh, for a nonprofit board and, and from, a, from a legal standpoint is governance, uh, to provide governance oversight, uh, provide oversight uh, with, with fiduciary responsibilities. Um, and the board rep is the, represents uh, the interest of the shareholders, and in the case of nonprofits, the shareholders translates into the constituency being served. And that could be uh, homeless veterans, it could be uh, single mothers, uh, it could be uh, 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 children who, who aren't uh, getting proper nutrition. Uh, or proper education, it could be uh, pets and animals, it could be the environment. So whatever the constituency, the nonprofit is uh, committed to serve, the oversight and, and the protective uh, uh, cloak, if you will, uh, looking out for their best interest is the board. Now, one of the, and uh, your, your point about fundraising it's great when, when board members are able and willing to assist in fundraising. They're able and willing to make personal donations. The, the philosophical challenge I have with that is that too many organizations assume their board members are really nothing more than ATMs. And they're in, in the, the organizations uh, uh, just figure that, well, the, you're on the board and you should know you sh you're supposed to be giving and helping raise money. The challenge is too many organizations have that expectation, but they don't communicate the expectation to a prospective board member when they're in the, the, the recruiting phase of a, of a board uh, relationship. And uh, not only communicating, but listening for acceptance that the individual board candidate is ready, willing, and able to commit to the financial, individual financial obligation that that particular organization um, has for its board members. And they don't, they don't have the ask up front because my experience says they're afraid the board member will turn them down. So they hold on to that request uh, and mistakenly hold on to it, David, until after that individual is at the altar and they've, they've, they've said the vows and, and I do, now they're on the board and, oh, by the way, guess what, David, 
we're going to ask you to be involved in fundraising. We're going to ask you to write big checks every year. And now that, uh, that can really be a huge turnoff when that ask isn't communicated uh, in advance. So that's, that's a big issue when there, there's, you know, the engagement issues around nonprofit board performance is something that, that many, many nonprofits across the country deal with. And the engagement issues can either be board members are not as engaged as they should be, or sometimes they overstep boundaries and are too engaged. Um, so two different engagement situations. Another one of the challenges uh, that organizations have around board members not doing what they're supposed to do, and that's, that's what my book, Stop the Nonprofit Board Blame Game, that's the question that, that the book answers. Why don't board members do what they're supposed to do? Well, one of the main reasons is you don't have the right people. So you haven't recruited board members with intentionality, purpose, process. You haven't identified uh, standards and expectations and, uh, or, or have a strategic plan that you're recruiting board members to. Um, so, you know, if, if you want to win a, a championship in sports, you go out and recruit championship players, right? Um, so it's not just get anybody and uh, stick them in a board seat and think they're going to be, you know, they could be nice people, okay, but they're not uh, equipped skill-wise, not equipped experience-wise, uh, or, or bring to the table what your organization truly needs. So, you know, not having the right people in, in far too many cases is one of the reasons boards don't perform as they, as they should. Um, my research to answer that question, why don't board members do what they're supposed to do? You know, board members tell me the, the top issue is that they have experienced that causes good board members to become disengaged, David, is poor communication. So if you stop and think about ideally who you're, you know, go around the boardroom, uh, do a mental exercise and go around the boardroom, visualize who you would like to see around your board table. Well, you're probably looking for the top uh, community leaders, the business leaders, the community leaders uh, in your, your area that the, the serve being served by the organization. And well, these are very busy people. And they're, they're making time in their schedule to support your organization and the mission. Well, they, they are, they're, they're wanting timely communication. They don't want to see information uh, such as a, a very important staff report uh, about a service being provided that they're going to have to make a decision on maybe a financial budgeting related decision. And they don't get that information until uh, just they show up at the meeting or maybe the uh, email an hour or two before the meeting. Think in advance, communicate in advance. What do your board members want to know? What do they need to know? 
and how do they prefer to be individually prefer to be communicated with all too often we we just don't as a sector we don't spend the time necessary to communicate with board members the way uh, we should and in a way that allows them to exercise their governance and fiduciary responsibilities. So timing is important. No surprises is very important. Um, so, so poor communication. So communication is not about just more because you may be writing reports, sending emails, doing all kinds of communication activities. It's about communicating effectively. And one other, one other key point, David, and I appreciate a chance to elaborate uh, on these items because they're so very important related to the performance of nonprofit boards. If you want different results from your board performance, create a positive board experience. You know, individuals don't volunteer, and, and, and a lot of times we forget that board members are volunteers. We may treat our volunteers with all uh, all types of respect and appreciation, and we we recognize their efforts and thank them for their efforts. But how often do board members get that same feeling of being appreciated? So so board members as, as individuals who are volunteering, especially extremely busy individuals who are sitting on boards, um, don't want their time wasted. They do want to make an impact. So do your meetings. Think about this, David. Uh, how many meetings do you go to during the course uh, of a week or during the course of a, of a month that you are in your head wondering why in the world did you bother to show up? Make your board meetings an event that is a not-to-be-missed meeting rather than blown off as just a useless waste of time. Hardy, I can, I can, I can tell you, um, without obviously identifying the entity, uh, I was invited uh, onto the board of a uh, nonprofit. Uh, it did, in part, it was based upon my, I think the invitation came because of my historical financial uh, contributions and my interest in the space and such. And uh, what I did find uh, once I got on was that there, there were meetings where there were presentations about what the not-for-profit was doing and then corresponding you know, requests for additional checks. And uh, very little effort to enlist. Uh, and it was a diverse board. Um, the idea is talent participation to have a directional impact on the non-profit. Uh, on the nonprofit, and I did have, quite frankly, it took a couple of years, but I, I, you know, accumulated over time, uh, precisely the response that you described, uh, not feeling uh, appropriately integrated, used, and um, sort of wondering why I had agreed to get on the board because I didn't really have time for, you know, the right. six meetings and things like that that occurred throughout the year. Well, if you think about this. If I'm out recruiting uh, for a board, and I and I've uh, I've got a chance to get uh, several new uh, board members 
who have uh, the level of qualifications that uh, David Lawrence does. Well, think about this. Um, you know, I, I would certainly appreciate the personal contributions. That's great. But I am willing to, to, to not take a very big risk here and with this statement that I, I, I am willing to say that the based on David Lawrence's experience, that his insight, sharing his experience, his thoughts and observations of how the organization can better uh, be suited to move into the future is probably going to have a far higher value than a monetary contribution. I'm going to say I, I'm, I'm confident I can say that without taking any risk. So multiply what David Lawrence brings to the table as a board member times the rest of your board members and just think about that value. So I, I, I think that we, we as, a, as a sector are under, uh, we, we underappreciate our board members. We're not, you know, we're, we're interested in those checks quite often, um, but we're not seeing a bigger picture, a higher value. And that's why I say use your board as a high value asset. It's a great insight. Let me just pivot. One of the things we spoke about before this call is why some of the lessons here that you're applying in the nonprofit world are not equally applicable to the for-profit world, whether it's a private company or a public company. And uh, without taking a lot of time, Hardy, some of the issues that have confronted nonprofits look remarkably similar to uh, the issues that public and private for-profit companies have faced, where there have been advantages to having a strong and engaged board, and I, I would say a diverse board, uh, both in terms of talent, but also in terms of backgrounds and racial composition and, uh, and gender. Um, because the not-for-profit world has had issues involving everything from cyber attacks to security concerns to uh, obviously financial reporting, some of the interactions with government regulators, workplace conduct, hiring practices, cyber hygiene, the need to be protective and proactive. Also in terms of where they solicit money from and accept money, so sort of know your customer. And um, certainly the nonprofits are not immune from some of the headline risks, some of the legal and regulatory risk, what I refer to as reputational risk. Uh, scandal is capable of killing off even a sophisticated company, no less a nonprofit. And so I'd love you to share your perspective with the audience about the types of issues that nonprofits face and, and similarly, whether these lessons, at least as I'm interpreting them, are equally applicable to the, uh, I'll call it the for-profit world. Really, really enjoy that, that scenario. So let me share maybe three or four really quick uh, situations where, where uh, certainly improvement is needed in the nonprofit sector and the 
for-profit corporate world can certainly pay attention uh, and not, uh, not duplicate these mistakes or, or shortcomings. Number one would be um, that the, the, the nonprofit sector, as I, as I mentioned uh, in the beginning, is, uh, has a, a reinforced behavior of, of continuing to take action on what they call best practices um, and the best practices uh, that they've picked up either historically, uh, someone attended a conference, read a book, um, or they see another organization, you know, uh, going in a certain direction. But the lesson here is, is best practices for one organization, one entity, may or may not be a best practice, best practice for your particular organization. And if also a subset of that, uh, David, if organizations continue to take the same approach on such as uh, board recruiting uh, that we, we touched on briefly, but that, that board recruiting process is not getting the results or the board members getting you the right people, then why insist on continuing to follow practices that don't work? Um, and, and, you're, you're in, in continuing to do the same thing and thinking you're going to get a different result. And we've always, you know, we've all, we've all heard that saying, um, Another situation is that for a lot of different reasons, and it's a whole nother program for another time, I know, but uh, you know, we all understand in the world of nonprofits, uh, the business sector, we all understand the benefit of good planning. Well, in the world of nonprofits, although understanding the benefit of good planning, far, far too many organizations, David, uh, just turn and go the opposite way. Uh, they'll uh, say, well, the planning we've done doesn't work or the planning we've done, you know, the plan sits on the shelf and we don't follow it. Uh, we're, we're too busy working hard to do good. We don't have time uh, to take for good planning. Well, just think about all the different uh, situations and issues that not having a good solid plan to follow, especially is an earlier when we, we mentioned some of the disruptive, uh, in, environmental influences that, that, that we're, that we just have a history of going through. And we know those disruptions are always going to be with us. It's just a question of what disruptive cause are we dealing with at the present time? but not investing in good planning. So for-profit companies don't make that mistake. Uh, you know, reduce risk and reduce risk through good planning that anticipates, you know, the what if questions and have those solutions in advance. Um, and another key lesson that I think certainly relates from the nonprofit world crossing over um, uh, to the for-profit world. In the world of, of nonprofits and the social sector, David, um, if you consider donors, uh, customers, uh, for purposes of this conversation, the nonprofit world has an abysmal record 
of donor retention. It is abysmal. And there are uh, uh, reasons, well-documented reasons, uh, you know, lack of follow-up, lack of good communication, not thanking their donors. Um, you know, it's just, you know, it just doesn't even make sense. But so organizations, far too many organizations lose more donors than they bring in every year. So that's, I mean, does that make sense? Is that, is that a sustainable business model? No. So from the for-profit side of the equation, learn from the mistakes that nonprofits are making with donor retention and don't make those mistakes with your own customer base, your customer service applications, the use of your uh, customer service databases, uh, in the relationships that you establish with your customers. So those are some key crossover issues that I think that certainly offer lessons and nonprofit professionals that are that are that are listening to this podcast and and, and perhaps even board members take a look at the for-profit world. Look at the examples of great customer service. Look at the example of foresight and planning and anticipating into the future how organizations can weather economic storms or pandemic storms or periods of uncertainty um, and look and, and see how that uh, when there's a result that's being realized, how organizations do shift and do look for a different direction to take and getting a different result by doing something different. So both both sides of the nonprofit and the for-profit worlds can learn from each other. Hardy, thanks again for spending time and sharing the insights and uh, obviously accumulated over a uh, very long and uh, obviously terrific career. Uh, again, thanks. And I want to thank the members of our audience for listening in. And as I indicated, Hardy, I look forward to a continued conversation down the road. All good, David. Thank you so very much. Artie Smith is the author of Stop the Nonprofit Board Blame Game, a how-to guide on fixing some of the fundamental problems that plague many nonprofits and associations. You can find his book at hardysmith.com. David Lawrence is, of course, the founder of RAIN. We are the Risk Assistance Network and Exchange, a global risk intelligence company providing critical insights, analysis, and support to risk and security professionals, enabling them to more effectively anticipate, monitor, and respond to emerging risks and threats. Join the millions who are tapping into the collective wisdom of the world's largest community of risk professionals. Visit RainNetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E Network.com. Thank you for listening.